Welcome to Death Holler. Do you like scary movies? Welcome to Season 3. Slash or pass. There will be laughter. <laughs> tears. <laughs> tender moments. Jeez. Jeez. My special, special boy. But most of all, screams. Remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you have a killer time. Welcome back, everybody, to Death Holler. This is the second part of our Bloody Valentine's episode. I am your host, Reverend Dr. Death, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, La Urena. We are discussing My Bloody Valentine this episode, both the original and the remake. First up is the 1981 My Bloody Valentine uh, with tagline, This Valentine's Day, Romance is Dead. Uh, so cheesy. Directed. <laughs> Uh, there's going to be more later, so be prepared. Uh, <laughs> d- directed by George uh, Mahalka, uh, written by Stephen A. Miller, who did the story concepts, and John Beard. So that's kind of a good sign, folks. You've only got two people really involved in the in the writing of this. Uh, music by Paul Zaza, <clears throat> made on a budget of 2.3 million uh, Canadian dollars which is a uh, rough was at the, and I actually did the math on this. I went back and looked at the conversion rates for that time period. That, Cause that's what a nerd I am. And <laughs> it was 1.93 million us dollars. Okay. Uh, but it made 5.7 million us dollars. So decent turnaround for this movie, as far as like it's uh, payoff. Um, uh, principal players in this is Lori Hallier who plays Sarah, who is our final girl. Uh, she was in a movie called Heartstopper. Uh, she'd done tons of TV work, including Twilight Zone, Friday the 13th, the TV series, Star Trek Voyager. Uh, we have Peter Cowper playing the minor slash Harry Warden, who is our slasher in the movie. Um, and uh, he was in, uh, the only other thing he's really done since then is a, a fan film called Valentine Bluffs, uh, which <laughs> is a 2023 My Bloody Valentine fan film. I think is maybe coming out this or I mean according to what it's I mean given the fact it's this year I think it's set to come out this year okay 
Paul Kelman plays Jesse T.J. Hanniger, uh, who the only other real movie that he was in that of note was Black Roses, which is a pretty crazy demonic slash uh, uh, horror, you know, uh, rock band type movie. Okay. Uh, Neil Affleck, uh, <clears throat> and I don't know if he's related to Ben, <laughs> is uh, Axel Palmer. Uh, he was in Scanners, uh, and he's actually one of director of animated television of all things uh he had simpsons family guy and several others amongst his credits as a director and it's all animated stuff uh patricia hamilton plays mabel uh jack van evera plays happy carl marote plays dave helen udi plays sylvia uh thomas kovacs plays mike terry waterland plays harriet uh keith knight plays hollis uh, Alf Humphreys plays Howard and Cynthia Dale plays Patty. And the synopsis for this movie is that 20 years after the sole survivor of a mine tunnel collapse turned cannibal and killed his two supervisors, uh, ripping their hearts out, uh, by the way, and putting them in a, a, a little heart shaped box of candies. The town of Valentine Bluffs has decided to put on a Valentine's Day celebration. Ignoring the warnings of the institutionalized killer and the local doomsayer, the town experiences another round of killings. Pickaxes plunge into the faces. Uh, Virginal lovers are impaled when they first engage in coitus. (laughs) And hot dogs aren't the only things getting boiled. Uh, This Valentine's Day, cross your heart and hope to die. That's another tagline from the movie. Fucking (laughs) nerd. (laughs) Good God. These are fucking, they're like dad jokes. Uh, there's yeah, they all are. Uh, body count in this movie is impressive. It's wow. actually sixteen. Holy crap, that is so big. That's what she said. Um, uh, is that the <laughs> biggest so far? Uh, no, I feel like well, it's not going to be compared to the whenever uh, my bloody Valentine t- uh, twenty or two thousand nine takes its uh, you know, unzips its and just flops it on the table for mm-hmm. us. But uh, yeah, so far, I mean, it's up there. It it beats a lot of the Friday the Thirteenth movies on kill count. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the first four, and I know you're going to get into it, are kind of, I guess we technically had that with the second film, too, or the remake, but they're kind of just casualties. They're, they're, yeah. they're deaths, but they're not necessarily ones you see, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it possibly has 18 kills. We'll get into that. Uh, anyways, uh, the lady in the mine uh, is impaled through her, the back, uh, you know, against the rod or whatever. And that's the beginning of the movie. She's kind of in that, she's in a miner's outfit. She's seducing the miner that's shown at the beginning of the movie, kind of stripping down, which is the only time in the movie we get any kind of boobage at all, really, which is, you know, yet again, here we are. But uh, the next movie will make up for that <laughs> a lot. Uh, but anyway, not a uh, lot. I'm just kidding. A lot, a lot. Anyways, uh, she has a little heart-shaped tattoo over her where her heart would be at, and the the miner gets aggressive, and he like forces her again, and then the the rod comes through the back through her heart, and then you know there's kind of a scream that you know uh, and a zoom in, you know, and as uh, she's screaming, and then we get her you know beginning credits. So that's how the movie starts. It gets so right kill. into it. What's that? It gets right into it. Yeah, it goes straight into the kills right from the get-go. That's exactly what I was getting ready to say. Uh, then we uh, have um, four different miners that are killed and eaten by Harry Warden, They're, or Henry Warden. They're not really um, 
they're not really, I mean, on screen, like he, nobody, I mean, they, there was a tunnel collapse and, you know, he had to eat, eat the body survive, but they are, you know, in the movie as far as counts. It's like an Oregon uh, trail or a Donner party situation. He may or may not have done it for survival in terms of obviously staying alive by eating, but also breathing because oxygen is limited. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they, they bring up the auction thing in the remake, but in this one, he's been underground for six weeks. Oh, like, and okay. he had to survive off eating their bodies, you know. Well, damn. Uh, <clears throat> the two mining supervisors are killed with pickaxes and her heart's ripped out. Uh, Mabel is killed with a pickaxe off screen. Boo. Happy gets a pickaxe through the neck and out the eye, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Dave gets his head boiled alongside <laughs> some leaders. <laughs> Uh, Sylvia is impelled through the back of a head with a pipe. Sick. Uh, Mike is found impelled with a drill bit. Uh, Harriet is found impelled with him with a drill bit because <laughs> they were engaged in sex at the time. More than uh, one type of impaling going on here. Oh, yeah, getting drilled all kinds of ways, going back to what we said in our uh, previous episode of Valentine, you know, that, that whole getting screwed, you know, being a literal, you know, interpretation. Uh, Hollis is shot twice in the head with a nail gun. Howard is found, uh, his body is found hung, and then his head completely pops yes. off the body, which is a <laughs> fucking cool-ass yeah. deal, actually. Uh, Patty has a pickaxe to the gut. Pretty simple, but it works. Mm-hmm. And then the non-counted deaths, the ones that make it up to 18, is that Harry Warden himself dies at uh, some unknown time five years before the film's events. And then Axel presumably dies at the end of the movie, quote, you know, a little spoiler there, folks. Axel's the killer in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and he presumably bleeds out in the cave after he cuts his own damn arm off to escape everybody. So. Or does he, you know? Wow. There you go. Uh, quotes uh, Axel Palmer singing to himself, and this is toward the end of the film. Uh, Sarah, be my bloody Valentine. Daddy's gone away. Harry Warden made you pay. <clears throat> Uh, Axel Palmer, you seen Sarah, Jesse, TJ Hanniger? Ain't my turn to watch after, uh, which is funny because he just got through basically smooching her. So that mm-hmm. was pretty, you know, interesting. Mabel Osborne reading a Valentine note. Uh, and this is funny given the fact we just talked about Valentine, but roses are red, violets are blue, one is dead, and so are you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, Landers, uh, uh, you know, Harry Warden did it. And the only reason I put that in there is because that's literally, if you look at the guy's lines throughout the movie, it's some variation of that. That's all the guy says. Oh my the entire God. Movie. That's uh, sad. Cause he's also, he's playing the, he's playing the character that Shelby played, uh, in Friday the 13th part three. He's the guy who's always, you know, the, the boy who cried wolf, basically he, you know, he keeps saying Harry did it. And then <laughs> like, as a joke, because he always shows up with a bloody face or some kind of nonsense, oh my God. To, you know, scare everybody. Yeah. And then when the killings actually start happening, then, you know, they don't really believe it. So, uh, also, uh, Howard Landers, uh, Gretchen, you know what you know, would look really good on you? Gretchen uh, responds back, what? And then Howard Landers, perfect pickup line, me. And then she's like, suck it in and zip it up, will you? <laughs> As a response back to him. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Alternate taglines for this movie. Uh, I'm just going to throw them out there real quick. Harry's out to steal your heart. <laughs> or Henry. However, I think it's Harry. Uh, anyways, Heart burn, you know, uh, Sarah be my bloody Valentine. Boo. It's such a cold movie. 
you'll want to see it over and over again. Not horrible. Cool, but cold. Horrible. Roses are red, violets are blue. One is dead, the next is you. Not too bad. Yeah, it's not too bad. There's more than one way to lose your heart. Oh, that one's so lovey. Valentine's Day will never be the same again. Mm. <laughs> that one's kind of just on the nose, so yeah, whatever. It's a no for uh, me. What What do you think about this movie? Like, I mean, I, me and my wife actually enjoyed it. Like, we didn't think we would, but like going back and talking about it, there's parts comparing it, especially to 2009, uh-huh. there's parts of this movie that I like better than 2009. I and, have to agree with you on that. And one of the things I like better about it is the fact that the people who involved in this, the being killed are minors, uh, you know, M I N E R S not M I N O R S. But anyways, coal miners, but it makes sense. I mean, they're, they're just wanting to have a, you know, a, a kind of a Valentine's day celebration to blow off steam from working in the coal mines. Uh, the, the camaraderie is there amongst everybody. Yes. You, I mean, I, me and my wife talked about this. We feel like it really sold the characters better in this movie. Like, I mean, they, they seemed like real people. Yes. You know? Excuse me. Um, especially, especially Hollis. Like, he's one of the ones that stood out for me. Uh, you know, he's kind of the fat, heavy set one with a curled mustache or whatever. I mean, he, there's several, like, you know, way, you know, times in the film where he's like, you know, kind of busting up some of, you know, like the fights between TJ and, and Axel and, and just, uh, you know, him carousing around with some of the women or whatever there that like just felt natural for like this, you know, kind of like burly, you know, uh, minor. Yeah. Well, that's what I liked about the characters in this film is that for, in terms of being real, it felt like a bunch of people that would look out for each other. I mean, that's kind of what you get in a small town. Yeah, you're going to get... You're gonna you're gonna get your assholes. You're gonna get your people that don't always mean well. But as a whole, they kind of gave off that vibe. I I agree with that 100. percent Like, and then even like the reactions by the sh- local town sheriff whenever he's investigating, like he's really freaked out by the fact that all this stuff is happening, and like he's he seems genuinely concerned for his his community. Like you know, in the movie, like whenever he's talking, you know, he's trying to he's like you know, shut that fucking party down, basically, you know, like that sort of thing. Like, you know, he's, he's really like concerned, or at least he sells that he's concerned. Yeah. And I got to admit, like, I mean, and we'll get into this more in the 2009 discussion here in a, you know, a few minutes, but I just feel like the 2009 version, like there, there's a, there's two or three people in the movie that are standout. And then the rest of the characters I could care less about in this movie, this movie, everybody felt like legit. Like, you know, they, they felt like they, you were, it felt like you were watching like a little snippet from this community or something. Yeah. There was very, okay. Cause like in comparison to the two films, it felt like in the, the 2009 version, it felt like only the older people were trying to hold it together, which I guess that can technically make sense. But then you got this generation of kids that, what are they going to do to benefit, not benefit from it, but what are they going to do to uphold that? And I'm not really seeing what that is. And it's like, well, you old ones are like one foot in the grave as it is already. And you still work in the mines, which is, I mean, I know that's a thing, but these were like anciently old people it looked like. I guess the mines will do that too. Maybe they were in their 50s for all we know. (laughs) Yeah, you know, well, and that's the other thing. Well, I mean, that will age you. I mean, that you know, that's a whole other thing because you know the coal mines and Appalachia and all that stuff. There's you know that whole thing. But 
that that was the other thing too. It's like the characters in this movie were all were they worked in the mines, and you got more of a connection to the mines, you know, miners themselves, and like you know the and and I felt like that that grounded the movie was in a way that the the remake doesn't have. Yeah, I just I don't know. It just seemed like in this one everybody cared versus just a few people. Yeah, there, there's like in the new movie, the only people that really care is like the, you know, Ben, uh, which I know we're kind of conflating, but it, we're going to be going back and forth in the comparisons anyways. But there's, there's the old the old guy, Ben, who is involved with helping uh, Tom in the new movie sell off the mines. And yeah. then there's the, the old sheriff. And then there's that one guy who was like his deputy or whatever at one point in time. And they're really like the only ones that you really get a sense of that cares about the community. And then everything else is like internal drama. Yeah. Whereas in this movie, and and I think this movie's better in a sense, the camaraderie and then the antagonistic relationship between TJ and Axel is so much more natural in this movie yes. than the, between Axel and, you know, Dean Winchester yeah. in the new movie. <laughs> and there's the first drop. Yeah, well, I had to say it. I mean, I could have said Jensen, but who, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, it, they, I got the sense that they really were friends, but that they were competing for the same woman. Like they, it felt natural between the two of them in this movie versus like in the, and the me and my wife talked about it, Axel is just a complete asshole in the new movie. And there's, and there's, uh, there's a sense that he just hates Tom's guts the entire movie. Like, you know, there's no sense they were ever friends or, you know, anything like that. Whereas in this one, like they, when they need to join up together, you know, to like overcome something, they'll put aside their differences and they'll even pal yeah. around with each other. Uh, definitely Axel had a guilty jealousy, uh, in the, in the second film, because here we are, he never liked this guy in the first place, which they show in the film, but I don't really, they don't really give a reason, whatever. No, they don't like at all. It's, it's just that he mentions there's offhand Mark to, uh, Sarah that it's like, uh, well, Tom better not show his fucking face. And it's like, why you you gave no back history yeah. of why you don't like the guy. Exactly. And then we have, why well, he was saying that to Irene, wasn't he? Was I the second film? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He was saying it to Irene cause you're right. Sarah shows up with Tom. Yes, That's with right. Tom. And then, yeah. so at, at some twist of fate, like, you know, it, Dean Winchester goes away, who was dating Sarah, uh, and comes back, and all of a sudden, Axel's jealous of him. Homie disappeared for, like, almost a decade and has not had any contact with Sarah, and all of a sudden, he's worried about Sarah being unfaithful when he's banging Sarah's co-worker, you know? I've said this before. The guys who are so uh, obsessed with that stuff are usually projecting. So, uh, you know, they're, they're jealous because they've been doing it themselves. And so they project, but also it's Dean Winchester. If Jensen Ackles is your, you know, significant other, your spouse is like, you know, ex, you got a reason to be, you know, a little bit concerned because I mean, uh, you know, I, you're almost like you look at him. It's like fuck, just go to him. Like, yeah, you, I, I don't. And he's got a lot of money, guy. or he's set to gain a lot of money by selling off these mines. <laughs> Leave this podunk town. Um, but yeah, I, I just. Going back to the original film, I just feel like Axel and TJ are a lot, uh, their dynamic is a lot more layered and, and a lot more interesting than what they give in the, in the remake. 100%. Um, and, and like I said, I, I, you know, even though like a lot of the characters, uh, you know, I didn't really like connect with them, like the, the ones that did 
it like i mean they even the ones that i didn't connect with they felt like they were just like if you were in a real community like that that they'd be people you'd see off in the background like you know yeah. they, they all added like we said to the cohesion of the movie and made it feel like it was you know like a lived in place whereas in the new one you're it's almost like a soap opera yeah type thing. it's like you're seeing a few people like kind of whine and cry at each other and then like people are dying but then like you don't really see much of the town responding to it whereas mm-hmm. in this one the town's like you know everybody's you know worried about it yeah everyone's so, invested um the, the one thing that I have a problem, I mean, that the, the two don't really stand up together, and, and, and this is a fact of budgets for sure, is that visually, of course, the new one beats the shit out of this movie as far as, like, Does visual it? effects. Well. Because <laughs> technically, the, the pass that I'm going to give the newer one is that it was made for 3D, technically. Yeah. And does not hold up if you're not watching it 3D. Well, there is that, and there's one other thing that the the CG blood in the new one is very glaring now. Like when you yeah. go back and watch it, because like the blood splatter effects are way too outlandish yeah. in the new one, and this movie felt natural. Like mm-hmm. you know, we go back to the word natural, but like when the deaths occur, like it it seemed more like what you would think the deaths would look like. You yeah, know, in that case. And I know that these are both dark films, but I have to throw out there how. The lighting is going to be what it is in 1981, but by leaps and bounds, it was better than 2009. The lighting was fucking horrible in 2009. The characters looked horrible. Nothing about the lighting was was um, beneficial to them other than to this is who, what character you're dealing with. It, it, nothing like it didn't glam, glamify any of the women. It didn't show any decent features of Dean Winchester. It just... Like I know he's supposed to look dark and brooding, but it 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 made them look drowned out, drab, and I don't know if that's the look they were going for. This it it was washed out in the two thousand nine. Here's what I thought of whenever I saw the movie, and it was exemplified by that scene between Jensen and uh, and I've I've got it in front of me here, so it'll be when we get to two thousand nine when I mention her name. But the girl who played Sarah in that movie, uh, Jamie King, I believe is her name. Uh-huh. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that scene with them on the bridge where they're kind of talking to each other and like, you know, and, and, and horrible bit of acting on her behalf too. I know I'm skipping <laughs> ahead to that movie, but it's her like bottom lip is like quavering just a little bit yeah. or quivering. And it's just like, she's overplaying it. And of course, Jensen's like, you know, perfect. Like, I mean, he, he's the best actor in the movie. He by bar none in the, in the remake. But anyways, like he's sitting there and he, and they're going back and forth. The lighting is very like flat. Like we yes. talked about before, when you want a movie to be like, you know, have more of a visual style that makes it seem like a movie, you need to like an contrast lighting. It was too natural. Like it was a, a washed out, like Seattle, like, you know, mm-hmm. overcast look. Oh my God. Big time. The entire movie kind of gave me that vibe. Yes. Um, it did, but, but it was it was their faces too because you can have the background look like a washed out Seattle, totally fine. But the characters, there's no amount of makeup that could have saved them from how they were looking, very lifeless almost. Um, and then going back to this movie as a comparison, especially the scenes where everybody's like kind of having fun at the uh, like local bar or mm-hmm. inside that, you know, uh, or, you know, inside that building that's, you know, next to the tunnels or whatever at the mine. They it's like they're very natural, like rosy cheeks, like yes. they, they look like, you know, you would you would think a, a person would look like you yes. know, in real life. They, 100%. They that, the lighting brought that up. Um, one other thing about the lighting and it, it's a reverse thing of what you're talking about. 
when the tunnel needs to be look like an actual mine tunnel, the original beats the shit out of the new one because the new one's too lit. Oh, yes. Like, that scene, that scene's beginning of the movie when uh, Harry, Henry, whatever his name is, Harry Warden, shows up and, and, and the three were trying to hide. You know, that was Irene, uh, Axel, and Sarah from him. I'm like, how's he not fucking see? I know he's got the mask on, yes. but I'm like, they're brightly lit. Like I can, yeah. you can see them clear as day. Like they're, you know, whereas in like the original movie, if they went into a darker tunnel, like it had that look, like it, the tunnel should have looked. Yeah. Well, it was funny too, because even like the, it was lit so much. There was lighting no matter where you went. She, they still had flashlights was, which was just comical. Because and the flashlight, that, that shows you how well lit it was. The flashlights barely showed yes, anything. Yes. And you did not see the flashlights flashing, but let's, let's, Let's suspend disbelief for a minute. Let's pretend that they did need that flashlight. At the beginning, right before, I think it was Sarah and Irene and Axel are probably going to get murdered or are at risk of getting murdered. She's holding the flashlight up to her face. It's still lit. She has it on to the last minute. Those things click like a motherfucker when you turn them off. And he's literally like two feet away from them at this point. And she barely shuts it off in time. You know, she has something over her mouth. You know, obviously Axel has a hand over her mouth, Sarah's mouth, so she doesn't scream. But the click alone and the light, let's say if he if it wasn't lit enough, they would he would have seen them. Yeah, there. I mean, all the way around it to make any sense. When I saw that scene, I'm like, this is. I mean, I know that he's kind of like you know around the time of that. He's he's got other people in the in the tunnels that he's killing. Yeah. But like, I mean, they're they're not enough of a distraction from. I mean, there's not enough of a distraction from them. Yeah. To him, not to like you said, heard that, seen the light, anything like that. I mean, in the tunnel, and it's just, and it and it just. I mean, like I said, the realism or, you know, the believability is way higher in the original when it comes oh, to any of that stuff. 100%, because at least when they're wearing their helmets, you're like, oh, well, they need these. Not just for safety, you need these to see, because it's, it's not as lit as you would need it or want it to be, you know? Yeah, and I mean, even like the one scene at the end of the movie or, you know, kind of like the red herring where it looks like Axel in the original film has like f- fallen into the 60-foot, you know, water pit or whatever and, and you know, is lost to the depth or whatever. It, it's it's dark enough to where you can actually see the helmet on the or the light on the helmet sinking into the water. Like, you couldn't see that in the new movie because it had been too well lit to even seen that, you know. It, yeah. It's just, I mean, that's, that's how well lit or too overly lit yeah. they had most of the scene. A uh, dark corner to hide in in the second one for sure. Um, the one thing that the original, uh, I mean, it's it's weird thing. The the acting is is a weird uh, mix in the original movie because you can tell that they're less polished actors in the yes. in the original movie, but because of that, they seem like we. It goes back to the natural thing. They seem more realistic. Yes. Like I mean. The only thing that stands out in one scene, and, and like I said, it, it, it's not good in the, in the sequel or in the remake either, is the scene between TJ and Sarah on that kind of like, you know, windswept, like, you know, part of the, you know, like it's not really a beach. It's more like a stony, like, overlook of the lake or whatever that is near, nearby. They kind of have more of like a soap opera moment. It's like, you know, but you've been gone. And, you know, like the way that they go back and forth with each other. Yeah. But even with that, they both give enough in that scene where like not, not one like outclasses the other to the point that I like it, it was distracting, but you go forward in time to 2009 and Jensen just beats the shit out of Jamie King in that scene between the two of them. Like she looks like she is so over 
but also underacting at the same time. Like <laughs> she's not got the emotion in her voice she needs, but then she's way overplaying her facial stuff. And it's yeah. like, and then, and then Jensen's like, he's a complete opposite. Like he's not really showing anything on his face, but the way he's delivering the lines, it's just, it's like, she's so outclassed, but in the original, even though they're both overacting, like they're at least matching each other. Yeah. In scene. I mean, but, but everything in the film, when he's talking to her, comes out like fucking butter on a hot tortilla okay like smoother than that it's like you know she she could she couldn't compare um as far as the uh and then the music i mean the music's an interesting thing because it's it's like all like you know you know hillbilly slash country (laughs) western for most of the movie and it even like the the ending which will play at the end of this like the the ballad of of harry warden you know is like this like folksy type song like it fits like just you know like these rag you know like rough and burly like miners would be listening to this type of music on their off days whereas in like the new one it's too poppy it's like you know it's yeah because when they're having a party in the mines yeah it it didn't fit uh yeah you it especially with the time period because it's supposed to be 10 years removed so it, 10 years oh, yeah. from 2009 it would been 1999 it was like the music they were listening to was like i it just didn't i didn't it didn't make uh sense for the setting that they were going for Mm-mm, not at all i don't know i i don't know i have no dumb way to explain that away um, I don't know what what have you thought about like all this stuff like as far as the movie like I mean for the 1981 version I mean we've discussed visuals uh acting music were there the story because it is slightly different um oh that's a good point I actually like the origin story for Harry a lot better than the, the original because getting trapped underground and having to survive off eating the dead bodies yes. of your former you know co-workers is so much darker and so much more believable than what they put in the new movie yeah it's like they tried to be less gory in the second one um and <laughs> In the, well, it's funny you say that because there's more blood and yeah. more splat involved, but like there's, but the 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 quick little story bit in the in the new movie is the fact that he killed everybody right before, right after the mine collapsed in order to save enough oxygen so he could survive long enough to be rescued. Yeah, um, which okay, I want to go to the first one because I'm forgetting because I keep getting convoluted with the second story, but or the the remake. But what happened to Harry in the first one after did he like re- got rescued? He got rescued. Uh, they kind of, I mean, and, and this and the funny thing about this, and I don't know how. Well, I mean, we'll get to it in a second. But anyways, the story in this one, to my knowledge, is he gets rescued. He gets treated for whatever injuries he has. He mm-hmm. breaks out of the hospital, just kind of like he does in the new movie. Yeah. And the only thing he does is he goes and he catches those two supervisors that allowed him and his other coworkers to be trapped under because they they skipped off and they were fucking around at the Valentine's Day dance instead of you know watching the you know minds like they were supposed to and he kills them and he cuts out their hearts and then he gets and he stops there and he gets uh, you know and of course axel it's revealed that he you know happened to see his father killed his father's one of the supervisors but he stops there they they catch him they institutionalize and put him in uh, you know a mental hospital and he basically stays there until he dies and okay. then he dies like five years before the the new movie or the movie actually takes place okay and then of course that and that explains axel's story and i did like that 
um, I was going to say, well, how did you feel? The, the, the doom prophet, he even looks at the camera at one scene. Like <laughs> oh it's like God. you're in his bar and he's telling the story for the hundredth time. Everybody else is like, shut the fuck up, happy. Yeah. And like he looks at the camera and he's like, it was 20 years ago today, you know, or, and you know, and then he goes into the, the whole story kind of like, you know, it's like a campfire tale, you know? Um, I like, I mean, we can talk about it, but I feel like that kind of goes into the death holler awards a little bit. Okay, well, we can leave it for that. I'm just, I just, it's, it's interesting. It's a very good, it's a very interesting contrast to how they do it in the new movie, where you basically have to glean all that stuff from like a series of like three D, yeah, uh, newspaper articles or whatever. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me, as I'm getting ready to choke. Um, I like how both of these movies had a slightly different variation on the story. Yeah, it's like Elseworlds or alternate universe versions of the same story or something. And I do like how it was told in this particular movie and how the actors portrayed it. I will say that. I was surprised. I didn't think that I wouldn't. And, and, and at first I was kind of, I mean, cause I just came off watching the remake again, which that's the one that I, you know, watched when it came out in theaters, which by the way, the 3d was amazing in theaters. It was some of the best at the time period. That's around when avatar came out. Yeah. Um, and, and I watched it and I watched it again and I'm like, okay, it's, it's about what I remember it to be. And then I watched the original and then I was, I was like, I was like for a day there, I was kind of just rolling around my head. I'm like, I don't know. Which one? And then the more I thought about it, it's like, I like the original for like a lot of the stuff that it did because it feels better than what they did. The remake's too overblown in a lot of the way that it did things. It can be. Um, and then I just, I, I don't know. It was one of those things that I just, it kind of marinated. It like got better the more I thought about it. Like at first I was kind of let down by it. You know, I'll be perfectly honest. I was just like, I was like, I, I almost felt like, you know, kind of how you do whenever you watch like some of these more subtle movies and they don't have like the, oh, you know, yeah. all the gory deaths and all that stuff. And I was just like, uh, is that what I, and then I was like, no, I, there's things I do like about it, you know? Yeah. Um, that is one thing we do need to discuss right now is the deaths. Because they were pretty fucking effective. Uh, they were, and they, they, and like we talked about with Valentine, they were, you know, they had the, the oomph to them. Like yes. they, they felt like, you know, I mean, they, they, there was no holding back. Like, you know, especially like right from the get go, like, you know what you're getting into because he, he roughly takes the, the woman who's undressing in front of him, slams her against the wall. And then like, you know, the, the rod or whatever it is comes out her back or yes. whatever. So, or comes through her back. Right so, through the heart. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's, it's to it that it's not like you you, you can tell they there's you know the gloves were definitely you know not all or were definitely off in this one they were ready to go um ready to you know take care of business and i mean it, it's probably the one kill in the movie that exemplifies that is the scene where he takes like sylvia and like just picks her up and like almost crushing her head just slams her onto that like you know like shower you know bar or whatever yeah. it is and like through the back of her head well what i like the most is that they showed the deaths that's true and the one the one death and i mean this is getting to awards a little bit that scene with um with uh howard uh where he drops down in front of him and then it's like such a quick snap that his head just oh, pops yeah. off and they're splattered with blood 
I looked at my wife and I was like, damn, like I was, I mean, that was like, it had, you know, it was very visceral. Like it had a lot to it. Like I felt that, you know, death more than I was expecting to, because a lot of times you just see this, like you can tell it's a dummy type thing, but there was enough weight to how they had that, that body drop that it was just oh, like, yeah. okay, they did good oh, with that. I loved it. I'm not even going to lie <laughs> about that one. I do have another favorite death. I'll talk about it when the awards come up, but I like that we were able to see the deaths. They were uh, pretty decent looking there's one in particular i saw in comparison to the 2009 where the pixax comes through and brings the eyeball with it and yes. without much information given away i'm going to say i liked it better in the 1981 film although there is a purpose for it in the 2009 film i'm not going to pretend that that purpose does not exist uh however visually I liked it in the 1981 one. It just worked a little bit better for me. I want to go back to the death scenes and lighting um, again because nothing was drowned out. Uh, visually, you were able to see what you needed to see, but there was enough darkness for stuff to be hidden the way it was supposed to be, you know, or cover up just enough what it needs to cover up. I just think that they did it right in the first one. I think so too. I think they got a little too, uh, I don't know, like afternoon TV, you know, like soap opera, like looks on some of the stuff they came up with it, which is funny. Cause like Jensen was, you know, started out as a soap actor. Yes. So it, 100%. It's kind of funny that they, that they went that route with it. But, um, I agree. It, it, the original has, it has almost that grimy feel to it too, that like, you know, like a realistic, like we talked about with Chainsaw, it's got a little bit of that going for it, which helps the movie. Yeah. Uh, almost like you found the, like a, you know, somebody had filmed, you know, the, the, you know, Axel going through there and killing all these people. And like, you were seeing it through like the, the video, you know, like the camera they found or something. Yeah. Um, the tough thing about Death Holler Awards is that it kind of, in this particular case specifically, is we can't discuss too much of the film because it really does get a lot into the Death Holler Awards. A lot of the scenes served a purpose according to our list of things that we're looking for. Um, unless you have anything further you want to discuss that won't give anything away during Death Holler Awards, we've kind of done that a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, I think we can kind of cut it there. I mean, we're kind of both giving the same vibe that we yeah. like this film. You yeah. Know, that's, that's kind of the point of the movie review. Um, and, and, and it's one that I can actually see myself going back and rewatching and enjoying it more. Like the more I see it, you know, there's yeah. a reason that this is a cult movie. Like it is definitely grown to the point. I mean, it's got its own fan film, like Friday the does. So that tell you something like, I mean, there's a definitely a demand for it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's a slash for me, for sure, um, but it, it still has that older movie vibe that I have such a hard time with, so I, I will I know, and I figured it would. Like, that's what I was wondering. I was like, I, I figured you would appreciate the new one better just because it's got more of the, crunch, you know, like the, the bombastic, like, you know, just out there, like, you know, way that it went about stuff, but like this one, I was like, there's enough here that she might be okay with it. You yeah. Know? Um, but you got to remember, you got to realize this movie came out in the wake of Friday the 13th, the original, the one, yeah. with, you know, Mama Voorhees and right before part two came out and introduced us to Jason, like this is wedged right between this came out in February 11th, I think it was, or, or somewhere there, they're close of 1981. And then Friday the 13th part two came out in May of 1982. So, or 1981, I mean. So. Yeah, and I this I'm gonna have to throw out this word again. It it's a sleeper hit because 
uh, I didn't even know this 1981 version existed. I only knew of the Dean Winchester one. Never seen yeah, it, and, but I mean, and, and I was the same way for years. Like if it, I mean, if I hadn't like recently, I, I feel like it's got more of an audience in the last ten years, maybe because uh, since actually, strangely, since the you know the remake came out, which that's one of the things people like you know shit upon remakes for is they say they go back and they they ruin the original, but sometimes they bring enough attention to the series that people go back and they're like, hey, I like this original movie, and and give a life to a movie that we would have never had otherwise. So that's sometimes a benefit to having a remake of a movie. Um, and, I, and I think it's definitely helping this one out because I've seen more about it in the last, and, and since the remake came out than I ever did before because I had no idea about it either before the remake. Yeah, um, which is so funny. It's funny because I can understand missing the 1981 version. I didn't know much about the 2009 and I also did not know anything about Jensen Ackles back then. I didn't even know anything about Supernatural back then. <laughs> Boo. I know, which is <laughs> so insane that I became the fan that I became uh even further when we get into a Jensen Ackles discussion or Dean Winchester discussing for the next film. We'll get back to this one. We should probably get into trivia so we could start talking yeah. about what we what we really liked about the film. <clears throat> All right, trivia. In an interview with TerrorTrap.com, director George Mahelka said that the shooting location at Sydney Mines, Nova Scotia was chosen because of its rustic atmosphere or atmospheric appearance. However, yeah. when the locals found out that a movie was going to be shot there, they decided to spend $50,000 to have the mine painted and cleaned. Oh, he actually no. went on to say that it was so clean you could eat off the floor in it. Oh, no. uh, this, of course, diminished the reason that he chose the place to begin with, and he had to spend $75,000. <gasps> to get it back to the way that it looked originally. What? That doesn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> they had to spend more to get it. It's it's a lot harder to age stuff than it is to clean it up. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Because he had to go back and they had like scouting shots so they had to like paint over places that had like spray paint on it or, you know, put the spray paint back. They had to, uh, you know, like give an aged look to some of the, you know, like the floors and the and the rocks and everything, it, the you know, the lining of it. It just sucks because he said that they were so happy and proud of themselves that they'd spent that money to make the mine look better and it was the exact opposite of the reason he wanted to film there to begin with. Oh, my God. Oh, Reverend, hold on. I got another animal situation. Okay. <laughs> Fucking shit. I just had a real life situation of my pussies trying to kill me. Real. Your cat's that crazy? No, she's not normally, okay? But. <laughs> hold on. Okay, so she's trying to get in. And she's really loud, and I'm like, I don't want to pick this up on audio. Whatever. I guess we've done it before. I don't know why I'm having such an animal day today. This is a real life when an bad animals go bad. But she, so she's at the door. She's trying to get in. I'm like, let me take her downstairs to my daughter because that's her second comfort. Uh, it did not go well. Let me tell you. Anyways, I'm back. I'm alive. And if okay, we were recording this, good. I'd put my scratches up on the camera for people to see. <laughs> She tried to murder me. She did not. She knew, too. She knew I was taking her somewhere else. She's like, no, oh, fuck you. Anyways, <laughs> I'm okay. Uh, 
Uh, getting back to what we were talking about before, the film was shot in authentic mines, which were often as much as 900 feet underground, and only certain lighting devices could be used in the mines because of the potential danger of methane explosions. Wait, was this an active mine? Yeah, well, it was not. No, it was not active, but I mean, Still. it was. Um, it, it, but they were. See, that's what I think. I think that they filmed like on the very surface level of the mine. If they filmed in it at all and didn't use a soundstage in 2009, and that's the reason it was so overly lit. Yeah. They had to light this like they would an actual mine because if they didn't, they could possibly blow themselves up. So. Oh my God. Uh, according to makeup effects artist Thomas R. Berman, one of his gory creations was realistic enough that director George Mahalka threw up at the side of it. Ew. <laughs> uh, and that's probably something that was cut from the movie because we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, the filming location, Sydney Mines, Nova Scotia, is a small Canadian coal mining town. The area was filled with a closed pit, was filled with closed pit mines, bootleg mines, and underground mines, which were shutting down due to economic environmental issues. At the time filming took place, since then, the mine used as Hanniger Mine, called the Princess Colliery Mine, in real life, has been dismantled, buried, and turned into a park-slash-museum. Okay, buried? Okay, dismantled, buried? Yeah, they, they probably... Yeah, they probably just, uh, you know, put explosives along the, the lines and just, you know, sunk it or whatever. Which is great. Does the... Does the possibility of any of the elements like methane still permeate, like, or have the potential to? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't, I think they would probably get trapped inside of the rock and stuff at that point. Okay. Point to where they wouldn't be an issue. They fucking put a park on top uh, of the it. Folk, <clears throat> the folk ballad that plays over the ending credits was added by composer Paul Zaza as an afterthought. The uncredited singer who does the vocal for the ballad was Scottish Canadian tenor, John McDermott. Uh, which we will get to the end of this episode for everybody to hear. Yeah, stay tuned. One of the makeup, one of the makeup designers once uh, shipped a dummy corpse to the set in a coffin, which caused much alarm when it arrived at Canadian Customs. Oh my God! <laughs> I can imagine. Quentin Tarantino has named My Bloody Valentine as his all-time favorite slasher film. Which one? I don't recall there being feet in it, but, you know, hey, we, we all got to have Shut something that's not our, our pants. <laughs> Producers Andre Link and John Dunning said the film's origin came about when they sought to find a holiday which a slasher film had not been set on during the slasher flick boom of the early 80s. They settled on Valentine's Day, and in order to keep the secret from being copied, they made the film's working title The Secret, though they had the release title in mind the entire time. That's... I mean, good job. Good job picking the holiday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you pick one that's not commonly known. I mean, that's a good good idea. Uh, George Mahalka approached Paramount in 2001 with a synopsis for a sequel, but due to poor box office records with the original film, they declined. Boo. <laughs> Uh, most of the houses seen in the scenery of the film were company houses, houses built by the Cape Breton coal mining companies uh, for miners. As of 2015, several of them are still standing. Interesting. I want to go back real quick to him approaching Paramount. Um, probably should have approached Universal. Yeah, that, that would have probably made more sense. Mm-hmm. They, they probably would have got... He still talks about, because I think that they filmed, there, there's like an interview that they had at some kind of showing slash convention that was on the Scream Factory disc for this one. 
And it seemed like it was later than 2001, uh, more recent, maybe like 2015, something like that, 2016, I believe. And he keeps talking about wanting to do a full-on sequel to the movie and getting back a lot of the principal players that were left yeah. to come back and reprise the roles. That'd be kind of cool. Um, I, I think it would work. I mean, I, you know, because it, it's, I mean, the remake's its own thing. We've already discussed that kind of its own universe because it flips a lot of stuff. So, I mean, it, going back and doing a sequel to the original would work. Yeah. <clears throat> According to the interview by the by Terror Trap, composer Paul Zaza spoke about wanting to create a different kind of musical motif for each of the individual murders, as well as make the music have a dripping, damp, creepy sound to it, like in the mind setting itself. He also stated that the end credits song, The Ballad of Harry Warden, was written because the movie producers wanted a song that could be a hit single on a vinyl record, but they ran out of funding, and so <laughs> The Ballad of Harry Warden was written instead. Uh, most of the soundtracks, my bloody Valentine was never commercially released. Wow. And there's, there's a demand out there for it. I mean, there's fans that want like, you know, ob the old throwbacks like records, cassettes, you know, that sort of thing, because they never lived through the hipster. horrible times. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know any better. Look about it. And records are so goddamn expensive. They were expensive then they're expensive now because of nostalgia and they're yeah, not they're like, great. They're like 40 or $50. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm sorry. We, we lived through those times. Glad you're enjoying it. We're going to get on our Pandora or Spotify. I do collect some horror records. I mean, I, the, like the ones that are, you know, the ones that I would actually listen to the majority of the songs, like, uh, uh, for instance, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Waxworks Records put that one out recently. I do collect some of those, but, like, I don't. I don't go out of my way to collect a ton of them. I mean, cause I don't, I have one record player and I, you know, I listen to it once in a blue moon. It's a lot easier to listen to Spotify, yeah. you know, YouTube music, whatever it is, you know, I, um, we only have, well, we have lots of records, but we only have one I'm trying to think soundtrack and it's guardians of the galaxy. And that I'm one's sorry. a pretty good one. That's it's got a lot of good songs too. Yeah. So that's a badass soundtrack. So not upset with that one at all. Which tangent the they uh, they used uh, Space Hogs in the meantime I believe is the name of the band for the uh, trailer for Guardians Three and they, oh, they cut that so perfectly to that that trailer that like it gives it gives that frisson thing that we talked about before I get goosebumps when I watch that new trailer just because <laughs> the the way that they cut it in there I mean even though that song is like you know from whenever I was in high school yeah. like you know it it just fits perfectly so with, funny. The, with that um. The MPAA cut more than five minutes out of the film before it came out, mostly because the movie was released shortly after John Lennon died and there was a major backlash against violent movies. Wow. And unfortunately, the auger scene is the one that they cut the most. Like, And, and that's a big thing. Mahalka came back to him and said, is there any way that I can you know, keep any part of this scene in there? And they said, if you don't cut that entire goddamn thing out of the thing, movie, we're not allowing you to release it. So that's why you only see you know, the two actors with the, the auger drill through them as like a quick cut. You don't see that. Cause he said the way he described it in the, you know, that thing I was, or, you know, that uh, interview I was talking about, he said that, uh, you know, they were, they were actually having sex, like in the scene, you could tell they were, uh, you know, Harry or Axel in this case appears behind them, stabs into, uh, you know, the, the, the male, I can't remember his name now, Michael or whatever it is. First blood starts pouring out of his mouth onto the woman. And like, she, gets drilled into it and you see everything like he yeah. had it all 
And the, the problem is though, when he had to cut it, like it, they can't even restore it now. Like they want to restore it for like the new movie or like the new release from screen factory and make like an extended director's cut. And it don't, it doesn't exist. Cause when he cut it, like it just completely got like shoved in the garbage basically <sighs> after that. So fuck is john lennon to fucking be causing this kind of <laughs> bullshit i'm sorry have you heard fucking yoko ono sing that's violent and gory you know what's weird about this we always i always find weird connections when these movies are discussed so uh we talked about like marley talked or you know or uh, or you know i think that's where her name is i've already forgot anyways like talks about how she uh uh, you know, when to portray like Mia Farrow from mm-hmm. like Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. You remember that link that Rosemary's Baby, like Mia Farrow was walking past John Lennon's killer in front of the building that inspired Rosemary's uh, Baby yes. and caused the killer uh, Chapman or whatever to, to go and kill Lennon. That was like, so it's weird that like this movie was actually affected, you know, by yeah. the death of John Lennon. And then like, you know, just little ties like that, just weird. Like it always happens that way. We always circle back to the, to the Rosemary's baby movie and, and potentially the Brownstone. That was the obvious, clearly the main star of that movie, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, according to uh, George, uh, the director, the actors and extras playing minors in the group shower scene were genuinely naked, Ew. even though they were filmed from the chest up. Oh my God. Come on guys. What the fuck is a fucking wiener fest? Um, and, and one of the actors, uh, you know, during that little convention, you know, showing that where they were just talking to him, um, he mentioned that, and I think I've got it in here somewhere later on, but I'm just going to bring it up now. That scene, what the, the, the hot water never got hot at all because oh. of the way that that was. So it was ice cold oh, shit. and they were using a fan to blow in a mist to make it look like there was steam. Well, the cold, that was cold yeah. air on top of it. Oh, so my they God. were, they were freezing by the time they were done with that scene that was such an unnecessary scene in my opinion i will say this all those wet wieners and not a single wiener slap but now it makes sense because they were so cold they were probably innies at this point so yeah they were innies at that point there was no slapping to be had in that scene (laughs) um in the ending credits, the song line says, and those still live know the secret survives. This is referring to the movie's originally intended title, The Secret. Oh, um, yeah. Nowhere in the film does it ever say what kind of mine the fictional Hanniger mine is. However, the general assumption from viewers is that it's coal mine and it was filmed in a coal mine setting, as you know, and it because it was filmed there. Yeah. So uh, the caption near the beginning states Thursday, February 12th, indicating that the dance will be on Saturday the 14th, and that means that Friday the 13th falls oh. in between. And, you know, that's, um, and it was released between, you know, part one and part two, so it was kind of an inside joke there. I fucking love that. I love little bits like that. <laughs> Uh, Rob Stein, who played John, uh, yeah, that was the part about the shower. How they were so frigid or whatever that I was <laughs> talking about. So not a winner uh, to be seen in sight. No flopping, no no anteaters in this this scene. So uh, the soundtrack to My Bloody Valentine was mostly by Paul Zaza and Canadian country singer uh, Marie Bottrell. Although Paul Zaza has claimed to have all the original soundtrack with him, including the folk songs and the Ballad of Harry Warden by John McDermott. He has never released it for sale, despite a number of fans requesting that he do so. Um, there's a large enough... He claimed that there's not enough of an interest to even make it worth putting out on vinyl, CD, or MP3s. 
but Marie Bottrell did release her recorded songs from the film uh, on her album, The Star. And uh, The Ballad of Harry Warden is available on a number of video sites copied from the ending credits of the film's DVD release. Wow. Uh, the town or the cast arrived a week or two before shooting to get a uh, feel of the town and its lifestyle before filming that gave them a chance to bond as friends and also found out fast. It wasn't a con for locals to wind up bloody knuckles after a heavy night of drinking. That's probably why this movie feels like we talked about, like, you know, the actors went there, they spent time with the locals yeah, and they, they added that to their cat and that it, it, pays off like yeah. it really does feel that way the camaraderie too that they built in those two weeks like hey we're gonna be on a film this is exciting and getting to know each other and i don't know getting to know probably the characters a little bit better. oh i'm playing this person and you're supposed to be my enemy ultimately or you know blah 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 it works yeah they 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 it worked and they they did a good job of conveying that on this on the screen i wonder if that was uh, the director that had them do that or if they chose to do that it, they didn't specify the director did, although I'm sure he probably suggested that they do that and they followed suit because I don't feel like they were all like super established actors and actresses. So like they, they would have, you know, been more willing to like go along with, you know, what his directions were in that sense. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Uh, the pop rock band, my bloody Valentine takes their name from the film. Oh my God. Obviously. If you look closely, when the cast drives by Valentine's Bluff's sign toward the beginning of the movie, TJ's green Camaro appears to be uh, being flat-toed behind the pickup truck he is supposed to be racing. (laughs) Way to go, loser. (laughs) Uh, Star Neil Affleck said that the identity of the film's killer was kept a secret even from the cast because the filmmakers liked the idea of the mystery being real among the actors. However, Affleck figured out he was the killer when, after being cast, he was sent to the makeup effects department to be fitted for a fake arm that would be ripped off the killer in the film's finale. Oh. (laughs) Um, But that is a smart idea if you don't want the killer to be like, you know, if you want people to be honestly, like, surprised, I mean, that's good to kind of hide it from everyone. I wonder if he actually, once he figured it out, because I don't know at what point he did figure it out, but I wonder if when he did, he was like, hey, guys, guess what? I know something. I'm the killer, you know? I, you know what? I, he he might have took it the other way, too, though. He could have been like, you know, I know a secret they don't, and, like, that added to the character, like, a little bit, yeah. like his portrayal of it. It's like they don't know that I am, you know, a, a, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing. I'm amongst all the ones that, you know, are being killed. Um. Actor Carl, Carl Marote said that while in the death scene makeup, no one uh, would eat lunch near him. Why? <laughs> I guess because his, his effects were so gruesome or something. Oh, my God. Uh, Neil Affleck revealed that he was still in the miners, uh, that he still has the miners helmet that he wore in the film. I mean, they were pretty nice. cool. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of cool whenever they take little, little pieces from the movies that they were in and yeah. kind of have them later. As the director stated many times, roughly nine minutes of footage had been cut from My Bloody Valentine to secure an R rating instead of an X uh, rating by the MPAA. Uh, in result, most, if not all, of the gory scenes have been cut by the MPAA because of backlash against Friday the 13th and John Lennon's murder, as we mentioned. In 2009, a special edition of the film was released with most of the gory footage put back in. 
and the only footage missing is the on-screen impalement of Michael and Harriet. And when John discovers Sylvia's corpse, there was originally supposed to be a shot of the water coming through Sylvia's uh, through Sylvia's uh, blood and, and turning blood red, you know, which would have uh, deteriorated over the years. A still of the Sylvia scene can be seen online with a very fake-looking dummy, despite six minutes of footage. Or, uh, despite six minutes of footage that remains missing, George Mahalka says that those six minutes were only expository footage, like character development, other nonviolent scenes, and not gory footage. And he says that the 93-minute uh, version is 80 to 85% of the way that it's meant to be seen. And it, that's what we watched with the uncut version. We watched it, and before the disc, he, he gets on there with a quick scene and says that's pretty much the movie he would have wanted the yeah. audience to see if he'd been given the chance. Um, originally, the death of Mike and Harriet was supposed to be shown on screen, like I said. Yeah. Uh, the MPAA rejected the film outright and it had to be completely cut from the scene or from the film. Uh, the, unlike the other murder sequences, which were edited down, uh, this scene has yet to be restored. And like I said, I don't, I don't think it can be because they don't have the footage any longer. Yeah. So it kind of sucks. <laughs> Boo. Uh, Death Hall Awards. What do you think of the final girl in this movie, Sarah Palmer? I mean, <clears throat> effective. Uh, she feels real. Yeah. Like, like we talked about, you know, with, uh, the, the actress in Chainsaw, like she feels more like a real person in that situation than like some of the actresses after her did. Yeah. Um, and just helpful when she needs to be strong, when she needs to be, you know, just enough weakness to make her, well, like you said, real, it kind of all attributes to that. So I like. I mean, her. she she stands up to both of the guys in yes. that scene where they're fighting over. Her. I mean, she tells them she's like, "Fuck off!" Like she's like, "You both of you all, you know, I'm not just some you know prize or whatever be won." Like you know, and then she stands up for herself. So I mean, and that's that's a pretty big thing for you know as old as this movie is. I mean, you know, I know Jennifer Lawrence was the first <laughs> you know female empowerment figure in any movie whatsoever, but. Uh, you know, I, Sarah's, you know, not too far behind, you know, as far as like, you know, standing up for herself. Well, we know where um, she drew her inspiration it, from. Yeah. Clearly Sarah was based upon Jennifer Lawrence. That's all we can say. I yeah. Mean, uh, what about the minor, uh, slash Axel in the <laughs> movie, which is, you know, it's, uh, a different, it's a stunt guy the entire time. But anyway, yeah. it's like. I feel like it's it's a good look for a killer. Like that miner's mask looks creepy. On I love its own. it. Like love it. It's it, uh, in fact they stole that look, that kind of gas mask look later on in Doctor Who. Uh, there's a, the one of the creepiest episodes in David Tennant's run is there's this little kid that keeps popping up. And, and you can tell there's something wrong with him and you can't really see what it is because his face is covered up with a gas mask. It's supposed to have occurred right after like the bombing uh, in England during World War II or something like that. And he keeps saying, where's my mummy or whatever, you know, like he's asking for his mom. And it's he's the soulless black eyes of the gas mask. And it works for this, uh, just the same as this character oh, yeah. did for this movie. I think it's it's just, oh God, like I, well, we're, we're, in, we're into it right now because one of my favorite scenes in both of the films is when these costumes or these uniforms are just falling from chains yeah, onto yep. the victim below. I don't know how or why they're even up there like that. I don't know what the purpose of that is. All I know is that I love it. It works. And it's just scary enough to have the real thing pop up right in front of you and, and, and really fucking get you with the jump scare. 
somebody in one of the two movies explains that and i can't remember which one it is now but they basically do that and the the thing drops down and somebody asks them why it's like that and they explain to them that it's because they need easy access to the equipment in the case that something you know happens in the mine or something like that so mm-hmm. it is explained in one of the two movies why they because it's like a little drop down line and they have to hit like a thing and it you know snaps it down or whatever so that yeah. they can get easy access i suppose um, but yeah, it's, it's a good look and it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's creepy or whatever. It's yeah. like, I mean, it, it, you could almost turn this movie. If you wanted to make him Harry go the supernatural route and be like a ghost like figure that's in, you know, tied to the suit, you could totally do that because there doesn't have to be anything under that mask. Yeah. Also, I wanted to say it was an extra surprise for me. Now, the storyline of having it with the killer be Axel totally absolutely works. And they give a really good, decent, pretty decent reason why that would draw someone to that kind of, you know, lifestyle, if you will. But I had seen the newer one first. So you can imagine my surprise when it wasn't who I probably thought it was going to be. Yeah, you thought it was going to be TJ. I yes. mean, I was kind of the same way. Whenever I watched it, I'm like, what the fuck? It's Axel in this movie? Yes. So that was a nice little twist. Because at that point in the movie, Axel had actually been the more proactive one of the two and had actually been trying to lead them to safety. Yes. You know, yes. It, and so it's kind of a, it's it's a neat twist. It actually works. It throws you off your guard whenever yeah. it happens. I like it. Uh, best kill in the movie for you. Uh, mine's going to be Sylvia. Okay. I that's a good loved one. the shower one. I, I mean, not shower, but the sprinkler. And I did see blood coming out of her mouth at there, one there point is and mixed blood with it. that is in the scene i think there was more of it and oh, maybe okay. like it was blending with the water more in the, okay. like the extra that's what i'm thinking was it a little bit more because i know it did kind of go away fast but i mean you know uh, but that- we also i watched the uncut version so i might have actually seen more of that you know than what they originally showed because i didn't watch the theatrical and i'm assuming the theatrical you literally just saw her get basically hooked and that was it yeah you know, like it where is this one there's more blood that comes out and it was also led up to by my favorite intense scene of all these uniforms dropping on her and fucking with her i loved it uh plus i think they had a dead body in that one as well on top of the real killer said that the costumes yeah. i think they had a dead a costumes dead body real killer and then she has a fucking gruesome and awesome death so i it was just a bunch of buildup that led to one satisfactory you know and it, it was a good lead up like you said because it starts out and she's by herself mm-hmm. she just you know like had sex with whoever it was that was with Sid at the time i don't even remember now which you know but like he's disappeared like you know uh, she's like looking for him and then all of a sudden she starts hearing things and then you, like it just builds up to it. Like it's it's more of like a haunted house type thing, yes. you know, than just like a straight up slasher at that point. Which, by the way, I know this is not a universal film, but oh my God, this would be a sick haunted house. Oh, me and my wife both mentioned it. If this, I mean, which I think the remake actually was at HHN, but they need to go back and do the original. And uh, there's a few select scenes. That scene with her uh, could easily be done. The scene with, uh, which was my favorite kill, Howard, where it just drops and then, because they do a little spray effects, you know, at, you know, a little water droplets or whatever. Yeah. And then and like it's like the spray of his blood, quote yes. unquote. Like as you're walking through, that would be awesome. Oh man, I, yeah, I would love it. 
Um, and I would give it to the Mike Harriet Auger because I mean that clearly would have been a great kill, but you don't see it is the problem. You know, it's yeah, and that's the MPAA. Fuck them. I mean, they're you know, it, it's like uh, George said, and it's always a weird one. You, you can you can't or you you show um, you know somebody getting killed all day long and it seems fine, but then they show a little bit of sex because that's one of the that's the reason they cut it more than it was the the you know according to his description more so than the death of the two people the fact that they were legit going at it in the scene or it's at least simulating it you know yeah they, they cut it for the sex portion and he's like it doesn't make any sense they the sex which is natural they don't want to have anything to do in a movie but then you put in a bunch of killings and they're like yeah whatever fine Show yeah kids you know it's like weird it's um but yeah um and and they they joke continuously that uh mike was supposed to be hung like a horse like that <laughs> was their inside joke and they kept saying it too because he never had sex with anybody and in that scene they were really selling it that harry was getting the business you know oh, like okay. she you know, she was getting her, you know, it, she was, uh, it was her first time and she, it was, she, once she went with Mike, she wasn't going back, in Ooh. other words. If she wasn't going <laughs> to come back from that. Uh, definitely a meat slap would have been heard in that one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, best scream has to be Sylvia. Sylvia. That scene you were talking about. Yeah. Like she, it's a blood, when she actually sees the minor, it's blood curdling, like the scream 100% she 100% Sylvia. And it stood out. I was like, oh. Look at that. A scream that I can remember. Yeah. And, and it's funny because you watch the final girl and like she, she kind of does what we talked about in Valentine with Kate. It's more like she's like gasping and, yes. and kind of like just a little bit of a, uh, you know, like type thing where Sylvia was like going for it, you know, like there, she was really screaming. There was a scream and it wasn't best scream by any means. I think it was Patty had the most annoying. I don't yeah, know. It would have been Patty. Patty was a, was, <laughs> Patty was the friend that you knew was going to die. Yes. Like just, that was the friend of the final girl that just wasn't, just right at the last second, wasn't going to make it. And yeah. that's what she, that was the role she played. That's exactly what happened. Um, Best boobs, not applicable, folks. They didn't <laughs> have any sit real, they, there was a lot of implied, but yes. there wasn't any shown. There was bra boobies. Uh, that was about it. They weren't bad, though. The the chick that was in the miners' outfit at the beginning of it, she looked pretty i mean it looked like she was stacked it's just you never it never went anywhere i mean because the killer killed her too quick yeah but, um which is a shame I he don't didn't think... he didn't even get his like what the hell dude she was ready and willing yeah i, well, I think that, that yeah i'm sure that that was part of the mpaa cut yeah like, could have you know, been. Yeah. Like, that's the reason there wasn't more of that in there uh, how annoying is Doom Prophet? This Doom Prophet is a is a different one. Like yeah. this guy straight up gives you the backstory. Like I mean, there's Crazy Ralph, and then there's this guy. Like I mean, it's I, Happy straight up looks at the camera and tells you the backstory to the killer. Oh, he was extra. <laughs> how many fucking times was he gonna open that goddamn door? <laughs> <laughs> and then him going around, it's like, you shut your fucking mouth, kids. You don't know. He's going to kill us all. You know, it's like, all right, well, he killed you. So. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't wrong about yourself. Well, that's the funny thing about a doom prophet. They always speak, they speak doomed to, you know, to its truth or whatever and to, and then bring it to life. But it always hits them more than, or just as much as it hits the audience. Yeah. <laughs> or, I mean, the, you know, the people who are getting killed in the movies. Oh, so. yeah. 
Uh, best side character, I, Hollis. Yeah. Like, uh, he he stood out. Like, of all the miners in the movie, Hollis was the main one. Like, whenever he gets, like, I mean, when, when he gets, like, those two bolts to the hand <laughs> from the nail gun, it's like, I, I actually cared, you know, yes. when he died. Oh, my God. I, like, I, I could feel, like, a headache. I was like, that's got to be the worst fucking headache. His vision's all blurred. Uh, and he didn't die immediately. He no. was one of those gruesome, like, I'm going to stumble around and uh, then finally die. It was the worst. Oh man, um, yeah. Uh, we're gonna pour one out for you, Hollis. Sadly, this is awful. That actor in real life died of brain cancer. Oh shit! I don't, that's a weird link. That yeah. is a weird link. Holy shit! Because they mentioned like he died shortly before they filmed that. Uh, you know that get together they had. Yeah. Because they wanted him there because like everybody loves Hollis and yeah. like you know, but he couldn't be there because he died at fifty seven. Damn. Very young. Very young. Yeah. Uh, dumbest moment. Uh, to me, it's when Sarah and Patty, <laughs> they're almost out of the fucking tunnel yeah. and they turn around to go back and we check, gotta check on save TJ. Him. No, you don't. You need to save yourselves. <laughs> he even told him, he's like, get the fuck out of here. I'll, I'll meet up with you. And they're like, and they're like, no, we got to go back. And then that's when Patty, you know, gets the, the pickaxe to the gut. And I'm just like, <laughs> Well, yep, dumb move. Yeah, well, she she needed that. She was annoying. <laughs> oh, anything else you want to discuss about this one? We move on to the Dean Winchester Power Hour, as we're going to call it. Power Hour. Just that she uh, Patty deserves her own. What What's the award? Why can't I think of it right now? The Franklin Award. Franklin Award. I I real I give that to her. I. I I'm not going to fight you on that she because was like, she was the annoying best friend of the, the final girl. When I think it was Axel that was like, Sarah, help her out when they were going up the stairs. I wanted to be like, I'm a helper. I'm a climb over her and kick her in the face. So she falls to the ground. <laughs> That's what's going to help her. It'll be a less gruesome death. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Which goes back to show the, the it's it's a very interesting movie because that's another scene where Axel is actively trying yes. to help them. One hundred percent. Oh, and and Patty does or not Patty? Sarah does her job. She's like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna help you, and they do. They they help her, but I mean, she's gotta help herself, you know. Yeah, and there and and there's that. I mean, but it, the, again, it's a realistic movie because there's that scene where TJ's like came back to check on Axel, sees the the helmet floating down, and like they're they're grabbing him. They're like, we got to go, we got to go. Like we can't, you know, linger here. And like you know, and then it's like they're 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 working together to get out of there. I mean, like in you know, I feel like in the new movie, it's like everybody's at each other's throats. You know. Yes. Uh, but let's go into it. My Bloody Valentine 3D, uh, the 2009 remake. Tagline, he's going to break your heart. Gonna do more than break your heart. Uh, directed by Patrick Lussier, Lussier, however you want to say that. Yeah. Um, Lussier. Uh, written by Todd Farmer, who did the screenplay, and Zane Smith, who did the screenplay, and then John Beard. It was based on John Beard's original yes. uh, film. Uh, music by Ma- Michael Wandem- Wandmacher. Mm-hmm. Wandmacher. Anyways, budget of $15 million. Holy this shit. Thing, this made $100.7 million. I don't know why this didn't have re- uh, sequels. I, this fucking blew the sh- I mean, th- this movie made money hand over fist. 
Holy crap. Uh, did we know the main reason for it? Was it because it was 3D? Did it come out at the right time? Was it Dean it Winchester? It was all of that stuff. Because I remember when this came out, like, we were dying for a good slasher. And I, me and my wife both went and watched this. We both loved it. I still like it. I mean, I, we've kind of discussed some things that we find fault with. It's a, it's a, it's still a fun movie to watch. But, I mean, at the time that it came out, Avatar had, had pretty much came out around this time. And 3D was real big. It just came back, and, you know, we went through that whole period. But this was one of those movies that did 3D right. Like, when you were in the theater, like, the, those axe, pickaxe hand, or, you know, like, edges were coming, like, right at your yeah. face. Like, I mean, it was good. I you could know? see it, but obviously I didn't have 3D, so... Oh, it, it looks like shit now. Like if you go back and, and I tried it with the 3D goggles, uh, you know, or, you know, cause they, the one that I have ha- actually has the, like the little glasses in there mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's the old style. It's the red and green or whatever it is mm-hmm. to make the image. But it, uh, the only part I watched was I tried to watch the beginning of it, but it was so distracting. I couldn't stay with it because like the, the colors on a HD TV screen. Oh yeah. Almost like go back and forth to where it's like, you're almost watching like a, like a strobe light or something. Yeah. And like I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I was like, fuck, I'm just going to watch a 2d version. Uh, but it's in movie theaters. It was those other type, you know, the ones that were, you know, that, that were regular glasses. The screen was slightly blurry, but then whenever you put those on, they made the two images like sync up to where yes. they, 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 it was perfect. Like it worked. I, this is one that if they were to put back or put out like on a, you know, semi or you know like semi-annual type thing where you can go to the movie theater get a bucket of popcorn and watch it in 3d this would be one of those ones to watch like it would work interesting uh but yeah i the other than the fact that people were starved for a good horror movie at this time because i mean you got to remember we talked about valentine that was 2001 people were getting tired of the post scream slashers this was an old school type slasher and people were dying for a good one because it'd been years since we had one. And this is the same year that we got not only this, but we got Jared Padalecki's 2009 Friday 13th remake. They came out the same year. Wow. I didn't even realize that. Um, so it was a big year for slashers to come back and people were just pouring in the theater to see them. Okay. Um, Principal players, we got Jamie King playing Sarah Palmer, who's our final girl. Uh, she was in Sin City, and we already talked about uh, Marley Shelton, who was also in Sin City. So there's a link there between it and, you know, uh, Valentine. Yeah. Uh, she was in The Spirit. Uh, she was in White Girls, <laughs> which is, that's a movie that can't be made now. Oh, man. Uh, Silent Night, she actually did the uh, remake to Silent Night, Deadly Night, that well- came out in 2012. <laughs> Um, we have Chris Carnell who plays the minor in this. Uh, he's the slasher of the film. Oh, okay. Uh, he's he's been a stuntman in tons of stuff. Uh, Bye Bye Man, The Waking, The Walking Dead, Westworld, Iron Man, wow. Guardians of the Galaxy. We talked about that already. Yeah. Uh, Hatchet. He's been in a ton of stuff. That is a damn shame that Dean Winchester could not like do that. And it's did funny not. too. It's funny too because we've seen him playing evil and supernatural, and he does it very, very well. Like he would have played this character to a T if they would have had him in that suit. Yeah, I don't know what the meaning of that was, but okay, go off. 
uh, Jensen Ackles uh, as Tom Hanniger, uh, the largest stakeholder in the local mine, and of course he's Dean Winchester. I mean, for fuck's sake, that's <laughs> that's that's who he is. That's, you mean Dean Winchester as Jensen Ackles portraying Tom Hanniger? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, all those things all wrapped up in one with yeah. a little bit of Batman voice thrown in. On yes. Occasion. He even had a Batman, like he even had a Batman scene where he was kind of like peering over the town in a crouch. Uh, in the crouch, you're right. A hundred percent. And at the, at the end of the movie where Tom supposedly takes over his body, oh, yeah. you know, he's got that voice. He's like, I'm right here. It's like, it's Batman. Fuck. Yes. Oh, God. Uh, we talked about fan casting Mia goth as uh, Harley Quinn, James Gunn. Jensen Ackles needs to be your Batman going forward. He it just needs to happen. Are it we gonna, just does. Are we going to talk about Dean Winchester now, or are we going to talk about it later? I think we're here uh, as a character. Uh, all throughout the thing. It's, yeah. This is Dean Winchester Power Hour. This is what we're going to talk about. It is. Uh, of course, Supernatural. That's what we keep referring to. If you haven't watched that, the first five seasons especially, go watch that You know, as soon as you're done with the podcast. Um. He was in Smallville, uh, kind of a creepy role in Smallville. It wasn't intended to be, oh, but it really yeah, was. It was because he plays like the 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 coach of the football team, but then he's also dating uh, uh, Lana, Lana Lane, Lang. who's supposed to be a high schooler. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, he talks about how weird it is now. Yeah, I mean they and he's discussed it inside of you. There's another reference to that podcast. Uh, very good discussion though about all that stuff, but um. Yeah, he. They were all the same age, so it wasn't creepy in a real life sense. Yeah. But the show it didn't make it was really creepy. Um, he's in the boys, obviously a soldier boy, uh, perfect villain in that that show, and and they can bring him back because he didn't officially get killed in the show. Um, I don't think he can be killed the way they hinted at, but anyways, uh, Batman: The Long Halloween. Speaking of Batman, he did get the voice Batman at least in the animated TV show. Uh, he was the voice of the Red Hood in Batman Under the Red Hood in that animated movie. And he was in Dawson's Creek, which oh, uh, I bring that up because there's another actor in this movie, uh, Kara Smith, who played Axel Palmer, who was also in Dawson's Creek. Wasn't he in some kind of soap opera, too? Oh, yeah. That's when he first started out. I think uh, it was like the Days of Our Lives or one of those. You Hold know, on, I'm like it was. Looking right now. But of course, they want to just talk about. Supernatural, a uh, Smallville, Bloody Valentine. God, they really days of our lives. You're right. Yep, yep. I thought that's what it was because he was real young whenever he was casting that. I mean, <clears throat> and he didn't have the Dean voice at that time. He has perfected the Dean voice since then. <laughs> uh, is there what? What do you want to bring up about Jensen right now before we like move on to the, anybody else in the movie? Like, I mean, it might not be a surprise. I do not like Jensen Ackles. At all. I do not like him. I don't like him. You don't? I don't. And I have not since Supernatural. I never really had empathy for Dean Winchester too much. Um, well, obviously, Dean, Dean Winchester is who he is in the in the show, and I get how some people could just feel that way about Dean Winchester. I get this vibe from Jensen Ackles, and I've said this before on this show. Oh, you're he, talking about Jensen himself, himself, not the character Jensen. Dean. Yeah, not uh, Dean. Say because you love Dean. Like, what are you talking about? I don't love Dean because I don't <laughs> love Jensen. Uh, I, I don't. I do not. I don't like anything that Jensen does because something about him. Uh, this is just me, and I don't know why I feel this way, honestly. But I get vibes from certain people. People. And I've been right a lot of the times in my pre, 
I don't know, just my uh, my assumptions of somebody right off the bat. If I get this bad vibe, I've usually been right. I do not think he's a good person at all. I think he's an actor and he's very great at it. I think he gives off the vibe that he's a nice person and he means well. Uh, at the end of the day, he's somebody that's making money and that's great. I don't, I'm not ever going to fault him for that, but I really think he's a bad person. Like, I don't know why I really think he is a villainous person. I, I, I can't argue with that because I, obviously you never know a person yeah. or whatever. And, and, and people give that or try to attribute that same shit to Jared. And I don't get the, I don't get the vibe from Jared that he's a bad person necessarily. Jared's a damaged person. Oh, he is uh, very much. Down. Yes. And he, and he has acted out in really bad ways in real life, uh, you know, but it all comes from a super depressed slash, you know, broken personality. De, uh, you know, Jensen is a different person and I get what you're coming from. There's some things that's happened. Like he, he could put on the charm like no other. So oh, yes. that's the reason like, you know, it's hard to see past that. And even as like, I mean, I, I got to say, even as a guy, he, he seems like the kind of guy I'd want to ha- hang out with just because he puts on that charm so much. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's that, that undercurrent where like the whole deal, and this is only supernatural fans will get this. And this is the, why we say the Dean Winchester power hour is going to be a lot of <laughs> discussion about stuff. There's a been, there was a big blow up between Jensen and Jared. They were supposed to be like best friends, almost like brothers in the sense of how close they were while they were filming supernatural. But when Jensen got the rights to do the, the prequel series, the Winchesters, there's a big blowout <laughs> because Jared was not informed one way, shape or the other. Not that he should have been. That's yeah. a whole debate. It you is, know. Yeah. But he, but Jensen never, as close to a friend he was, never once called him up to even attempt to say, hey, I got this, there might be a job for you or anything like that. He just went a lot. He just, he announced it. And there's this whole thing where he's, they said that he kind of had to. And, and I don't, you know, I don't know that behind, you know, what happened about all that stuff behind the scenes. But there's a vibe there that he was like, you know, he, he can be cutthroat when it comes to like business stuff. I can 100% see that, you know, and that's fine with me. I actually, here's where this, my perspective. And he, and he probably needs to be uh, yeah. honestly, as a, if he's going to be a producer, which is what he wants to do, he probably has to be cutthroat. I and mean, that's fine. I would, and I actually would have a different perspective of Jensen Ackles if he was a little bit more honest about it and didn't, he's always acting in my opinion. And that's scary. Because when are you a real person? He doesn't come off to me as a real person with any kind of faults. He's always trying to be this perfect example. Again, I think he's always acting, which is kind of a good thing in career-wise because, like I said, I, I'm not going to take away the fact that he's a good actor or anything like that. Um, but don't – I feel like he's constantly acting. If he had just been like, look, this is something that I kept close to the heart, I – Knew that if I had gotten it out there, it probably hurt some feelings, and that's not what I wanted to do. But at the same time, I didn't want anybody to know about this because this is my project, and I'm gonna I'm gonna run this bitch, you know. <laughs> which is also another thing that recently on uh, Supernatural: The Crossroads, which is another uh, podcast you and I listen to, is that uh, Mike and Thomas both recently had this discussion about Jensen about him as a person and Mike's like you know he's not genuine like we thought he was he's just out for the money and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that we've supported yeah. people that do that you know and there and there's a the thing about it too if 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 he if he's always acting and he's always acting as a good guy then you know then that in, in a roundabout way he is a good guy but i understand what you're saying is that there the the, the 
if your intent is not to be good, you're just putting on a show, then there that's there's there's something dark and twisted about that. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's it's not genuine. It's not and and I get where you're coming from with that because even if he does good things, even if he's you know, like everybody who's in a cast with him says he's very outgoing, very charismatic and all that, but if it's all a show and like the person he is underneath is like this cutthroat, business minded, you know, like I'm gonna get whatever it or do whatever it takes to get get ahead that it's it's almost like the clown effect where you're seeing a smiling face mm-hmm. and underneath it is somebody who could be like a John Wayne Gacy type. One hundred percent. Yeah. You know, not not to say the killer or anything like, but like the face is not the person, and and there's something scary about that. You know, yeah. to a certain extent, it has affected. Uh, no, I wouldn't say it affected me in this movie. I'll give my honest opinions about this movie. I'm gonna be honest and say that Jensen Ackles as an actor did not upset me so much that I couldn't enjoy this movie to an extent there's just certain things about him I can't really be happy for things that I hear coming up I don't find him to be a genuine person again bring it back to Dave Bautista where I'm like I don't fucking know these guys I could be ass backwards and Dave Bautista could be a total asshole and Jensen Ackles could be a legit sweetheart and here I am making my own assumptions of who they are as people that's all I can do well it's it's hard not to I mean there's certain actors that like you know and actresses that I like I see in movies and I instantly like check out just because like I feel like that person's a scumbag mm-hmm. or something like that so it's, yeah. it's 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 easy to get in that frame of mind and i could see where you're coming from from that i don't have that opinion of jensen i could like i said i could see it yeah um and, but to me he's just i mean it, the charm works on yeah. me like when oh, i see you him, are like, a fangirl <laughs> i I like Jared's portrayal better in Supernatural because I like the the darkness that Jared brings to the character, which is from a real place. Yeah. But uh, in real life, I think Jared would be miserable to hang out with, and and Jensen uh, or Jared would be if Jensen is not putting on a show, which yeah. he very well could be. Then he's the kind of guy that's like, you know, let's have a beer together. Let's kind of just, you know, cut back, you know, that sort of thing. I feel like if um, I had a beer with Jensen, he would just be doing it out of charity. But if I had a beer <laughs> with uh, with Jared, it would be because he genuinely wanted to share a beer with me. And if Well, J- that's that's true If because Jared is he's no nonsense. If he doesn't, I mean, he yeah. tells people that, and I mean, I'm probably closer to him in, in, in that sense that if I don't like you, I can't put on a yes. persona and, and that- make myself be that way yeah in that aspect i do like jared a little bit more i don't have any foul opinions about jared i also don't think he's the best like amazing most wonderful person or anything like that but anyways we'll get off of this topic we'll move on to the movie but yeah i don't know what my fucking problem is but just (laughs) looking at him i get this bad aura from him I don't know what it is. Well, I mean, I can't, like I said, I can't fault that because there, you know, gut instincts do work. I've, I've had it several times in like just my work career. Like you, I've had people like come onto the job, like, you know, I get this gut vibe. It's like, it's not going to work out with this person from one way or the other. Have everybody around me tell me, you got to give them a chance, man. Yeah. They're too new. And I'm like, yeah, I know they're green, but there's a difference. <laughs> I said this, I said this at work the other day to some other techs. I'm like, there's a difference when you see somebody first come on the job and they're green and they're making mistakes that, you know, new people do but you can tell there's a drive there there's something about them that they're gonna they're gonna progress they're they're the, you can tell that there's already progression going on and they're getting better versus the people who come on and it's either the attitude or it's the the way they go about like they you tell them something and it's like they're you know like this uh you know uh, kind of like a 
like you know the, they just it, it goes in one ear out the other like there you know there's no there's no retention of anything you're saying no attempt to retain anything and it's like and i and i just i look at people and i'm like why did you not get and they always it ends up being you know working out badly for these ones that i pegged that way <laughs> and like you know and then like i look at the, around these other people and i'm like do you not have a gut instinct can you not read these people like i can't what is <laughs> what why do you are you that hopeful and naive that you just assume everybody's going to work out? Cause it, it, they don't like blissfully just, oblivious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyways, Kara Smith, Axel Palmer, uh, plays the sheriff in this. He's an adulterer. He's jealous of Jensen. Uh, I didn't say I, I'm saying he's jealous of Jensen in real life. Cause that's the vibe I got in this movie. You think? Uh, <laughs> That'd be some fucking workplace drama right there. Yeah, I mean, you're not acting at that point. Um, Kara Smith was in the original Final Nation. Yes. Uh, which, is that a slasher? I guess it kind of is. Final Destination? Well, I it's don't... also, it's also, we. it's like we almost have to have like a supernatural season. We have so many fucking seasons, and I don't mean supernatural yeah. show, but Anyways. Final Destination is death, and it's supernatural. Yeah. Anyways, he was also in Dawson's Creek with Jensen, and he was in uh, Riverdale, uh, which I, I threw on there just because, you know, they're both CW shows, you know, it and Supernatural, so it's kind of a, you know, they're kind of like chasing after each other, and I feel like, you know, that's another reason why, I, in real life, I could see him being actually jealous of Jensen because I feel like Jensen's got more of a, uh, you know, more of a body of work behind him or more recognizable than Kara Smith is, even uh, though they kind of work together coming up, you know? Yeah. Was uh, Kara Smith, hold on. You probably, I'm sorry, I'm pulling away from the microphone. He was on Dawson's Creek. I guess they've, they've been on Dawson's Creek together. So mm -hmm. there's that. So they've been a few times. I'm just trying to find any drama on them. By the way, I am not. I am not finding any drama on these, tool, these oh, they're, two. They're probably not because both of them are probably like, you know, everybody in Hollywood, it's like like those catty, you know, like, uh, like I hate to, you know, say it's just women, but like because guys do this yeah. to a certain extent too. But it's like, oh, that fucking bitch, you know, like I hate that person. And as soon as you see them, it's like, hey, bestie, how are yeah. you doing? You know, like that sort of thing. The, Hollywood's full of that type. And I can imagine even if they don't like each other, like they, just like you said, they put on a face and it's like, you know, I, I love everybody. Hey, you know, how's it going? Yeah. Um, uh, Betsy Rue plays Irene, who's totally not a whore, by the way. Oh, yeah, not at all. <laughs> well, she's technically uh, not, but she's just doing hoe things, you know? Yeah, she's, she's getting her freak on. That doesn't make her a whore, even if uh some guy you know who is the actual screenwriter by the way in that scene with her oh. that's a whole thing in the trivia wow uh, that i'll get to but yeah he uh just imagine being the screenwriter for a movie uh even though he uh, he doesn't look like a typical screenwriter he did look like a big ass trucker dude yeah so i can kind of get you know that but just imagine like writing to script I, you know, am insane, you know, rolling around naked, you know, with one of the, you know, major, you know, actresses in the movie. And like, you know, that's, that seems kind of creepy in a little bit, yeah. you know. Ass naked. Yeah. Literally. Yes. It's full, it's full nudity. We just don't get to see any meat slap, so. 
Uh, yeah, full on. Uh, she was in Eastwick, which is kind of like a television version of the Witches of Eastwick. Uh, True Blood. Uh, she was in Halloween Two uh, in two thousand nine, uh, the same year this came out, and she was in Bones uh, with wow. David Boreanaz. Look so at that. there's another link. She's got quite some chops. Uh, Tom Atkins, who plays Burke in this, he waited too long to retire. Mm-hmm. He's the former sheriff, and he totally fucked Michael Myers' sister. Oh, my fog. God. Shut up. <laughs> uh, he's going to be up again next season in Night of the Creeps and later this year in Halloween or 3. So uh, Tom Atkins is making his uh, – he's going to be in all kinds of stuff this year. So. Oh, my God. Uh, Michael McKee plays Jason, uh, Liam Rhodes plays Michael, and Jason and Michael, just, you know, uh, there's a reason they're named that at the beginning of this movie. Uh, Brandy Engel plays Brandy. Uh, that's another thing about this movie. There's no uh, real thought put behind the names. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's your name as a, a real-life person? Brandy? Okay, you're Brandy. Well, no, no, no. Don't discredit. Right now, you're just flat out being disrespectful because it's Brandy with an I that's playing Brandy with a Y. So uh, true. There, there's a little bit of creativity there. I'm sorry. Uh, Todd Farmer is the screenwriter that played Frank the Trucker. <laughs> um, Celine Luna plays Celine, oh. the the dwarf uh, lady who oh owns my the God. Uh, the motel. Uh, Jeff Hockendonner plays Red. That now that's a different name. I mean, they didn't yeah. just call him Jeff at least. Uh, Kevin Teague plays Ben Foley. Megan Boone plays Megan. Mm, okay. <laughs> Uh, she was the main actress on Blacklist, though, so she did go on to be, like, you know, have her own thing and, like, you know, kind of break out from this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, of course, Megan's the adulteress in the movie, if anybody didn't know. Uh, she's the one with the baby that's on the way. Pure. The bundle of joy. And the way she fucking told him was very young, psycho, like, early 20s psycho girl shit. Like, guess what? I'm pregnant. Like, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, but it also had that uh, air of uh, being naive to oh, it, too. Oh, so because, naive. like, she looks at him, and it's, like, such a dirtbag thing. She hands him a valentine. He's like, oh, I didn't get you anything. And it's like, well, you're, she's a fucking side piece. She should at least be getting, you know, dinner at Denny's or something somewhere. He gave her and a then, good like, hot dick down. What are you talking about? Ah, well, whatever. And then she, like, I mean, and then she turns around. She's like, it's okay. You gave me something else. I'm having your baby. And it's like, oh, fuck. You know, like, that look he, I will give Kara Smith one thing. That look he gives, that look of disgust. Yes. Like, what the fuck am I going to do? That looked like a man who had been in that situation before. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, and then we have uh, Joy De La Paz, who plays Rosa. And Racist. then Richard... Uh, John Walters, who plays Harry Warden uh, for a short little stint at the beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Synopsis. A year after a tragic mine explosion left five miners dead, the lone survivor wakes up from a coma and goes on a killing spree because that's what you do when you wake up from a coma. About Jensen Ackles for, you know, 10 years straight. Uh, or well, no, actually, it had just been a year at that point, I guess. So, yeah. anyways, uh, but a year of dreaming about Jensen. So, there yeah. you go. Uh, 12 victims are left dead, and Dean Winchester gets a severe case of PTSD. Uh, <laughs> fast forward 10 years, and Dean has returned to sell Jeffrey Dean Morgan's mine, which pisses everybody off. Uh, Dean's bestie is now the sheriff and thinks his wife will fuck Dean, which is not a bad assumption, but he's got a side piece and shouldn't care. Yeah, Irene is. 
Irene is totally not a whore. Tom Atkins is getting too old for this shit. And Blood and Gore plays front and center for that glorious 3D. <laughs> Nothing says date movie like a 3D ride to hell. <laughs> Which oh, is another tagline for this movie. Fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but there's nothing I said there that's wrong. I mean, yeah. he is selling Jeffrey Dean Morgan's mind. I mean, that's what he's doing. And yeah. So, uh, body count, 29. 29 fucking people die in this movie. Now, not all on screen. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a cheat there, but I believe that has to be one of the highest body counts yes. yet covered. Well, okay, this one, and then was the last one, like, the second highest? I We got to keep count of the body count. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go. But I feel like Friday the 13th part... Six might have had a slightly higher one than the original My Bloody Valentine, but uh, okay. but it's close. It's right. close. Uh, five miners killed by Harry Warden with a pickaxe because he, you know, that's the thing about the movie as they're telling the story in the three D, you know, s- splash screens, which is way too quick, you know, to really read them, especially with three D goggles. But whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it, the the story is that he killed him so he could preserve the auction so he could survive. Uh, legit that's a legit reason (laughs) it it is but i feel like the cannibal angle is way better yeah anyway uh non-hospital massacre victims their hearts ripped out or otherwise killed by harry warden very gruesome very effective scene i I like that Ooh, the Uh, hand that was just laying there dripping blood they knew what they were doing with that hand i was like she's a fucking hand model like on zoolander (laughs) it was a gorgeous perfect manicure not overly done hand was pretty it was posed perfectly yeah i loved it um i have such a disconnect though with these movies showing hospital scenes because i don't know when uh nurses stopped wearing like white you know like hospital gowns or you know like those dresses and stuff they had but it's been for a long time and i know in 2009 they were wearing like you know barney scrubs and stuff like that i mean barney scrubs it's it's, i mean it's a thing like it's you know i I mean i hell i wear scrubs to work every day like it's you know I, i don't know where this why that's what i know it's visually a staple i mean i'm sure that my i talk about that you know like it's one of those staples that like the audience can immediately identify with but i feel like to me it's actually serving the opposite purpose at this point because when i see a nurse it you know and i feel like maybe um smile had it right because i think the nurses and doctors and that actually wore like appropriate you know scrubs and stuff but like these movies that are fairly recent that have like the white dresses and the little especially the little you know kind of papery hats or whatever that you know had the little like you know cross on them or whatever they they just look so out of place like i could believe that in a 1950s or 60s movie but not anymore like you can't set a movie post 99 especially and have it work that way it depends on the town and you got to remember this is a very stuck in the times town because it was yeah they thought that mining was the only means of life in that town which it might be because it's a really small town but also really small towns they they don't progress as faster as the rest of america I will say this though, having, I, I live in coal country. I live near mines. I, I, none of my family were actually miners, mm-hmm. so I don't have that direct link, but I know plenty of people who've been my patients at my job who were former, you know, mine workers. And like, I mean, 
we've had scrubs and stuff at our hospitals for yeah. like, you know, <clears throat> over two decades at least now at this point. And I mean, small community, mining community. Uh, the one thing they did get right with this is the fact that the whole town like going ape, ape shit over like the mine closing. That's a legit yes. thing because the towns have no infrastructure to support those all, you know, everybody yeah. losing their jobs all at the same time. There's no backup. So there's a good reason why everybody was pissed at Tom in this movie for trying to sell yeah. the one thing that was keeping the, you know, the town alive basically because there's a lot of towns around here that as soon as the mine pulls up stakes that town dies like you know that you know so um i mean there's people that still lives there but i mean like it it's all it, it's the depression and like just the all that stuff that sets in is a big time thing there's a reason that heroin and you know opioids are in such high use in some of these smaller towns they have nothing like the to else to go on yeah so, um so we have uh, the nine hospital workers. We have Jason stabbed through the back of the head and out the eye with a pickaxe. And they did that because, if you remember, Jason Voorhees is missing one of his eyes. Oh, my as, God. As a killer. I'm serious. That's why they did it. I did uh, not even know. Uh, three uh, Hanniger mine partygoers are killed, stabbed in the stomach with pickaxe off screen. Michael, you know, Michael, you know, uh, uh, from the Halloween movies is uh, stabbed through the face with a pickaxe. I don't know how that, that, that's supposed to relate to how Michael, you know, Myers dies, but I don't know, like, I've never really seen him stabbed in the face, yeah. but I think he's usually shot, so I don't know how that applies. Uh, Brandy is half decapitated through the mouth with a, uh, Frank is killed with a pickaxe to the top of the head. Yeah. Celine is uppercutted with a pickaxe into the ceiling lights, which seems like it would be a little extreme, but she is she, a dwarf. Yeah, so, she, like, it... As bad as that sounds, I, uh, the physics don't seem off to me as much. It doesn't. In that case. She's a she's a person of littleness, so yeah. Uh, Irene is stabbed in the gut with a pickaxe and found with her heart ripped out. Red is stabbed in the head with a pickaxe and then stabbed at least nine more times. Uh, ben is has his face impaled through a pickaxe. It's actually pushed or kicked yes, down onto it. That That's was actually sick. a pretty effective kill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Megan is found with her heart cut out of her chest. Um, yeah, hers is killed is off screen, and then the "Be Mine Forever" is written above her, which is what got Jensen in trouble because mm-hmm. he shouldn't have known that detail. Correct. Uh, Rosa is killed with a pickaxe, and then later found in the dryer, that which was actually sick. goes back. That goes back and actually harkens to the kill in the first one, which yes. is actually one of the kills I forgot. That that kill with Mabel, where she's like yes. burned alive, and the that is a fucking sick scene. And like, she's that's still good spinning effects. in the dry. I love, I love that. I, I that kept... actually really good effects on that scene. I got to give them credit. Yeah, in the original movie, it looked real. Uh, Harry Warden is shot by Burke uh, and and the rest of the people. You know, right after his big rampage, he had. And then uh, the rescue worker uh, at the end of the movie is killed with a pickaxe to the face right before Jensen takes his uh, mining outfit Mm -hmm. and escapes. Which is weird because at the end, I swear, and I could be wrong, that the guy was wearing a red T-shirt because I kept saying to myself, that's weird. Why is he wearing a T-shirt in the mines? I feel like they wear more protective gear. But then when Jensen walks out, and I did see the other, uh, you know, safety ones wearing the red protective yeah. gear. But I swear that this particular one is wearing a red T-shirt. But when Jensen walks out or Dean Winchester. It's one of those thicker like, yes. mine coats or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. 